Hello everyone, James Baker here, and today I have a special guest for you, and I have a really awesome conversation coming with Mr. Peter Paulson from Frost Tax Law. Very uh, experienced, he knows what he's talking about, and I'm very excited to have him on the channel because we're going to talk about really detailed information as to what's a trader business, what uh, what is Amazon looking for, like how to set up your company, what forms should you file every year. Very interesting stuff, and Peter's going to be coming with a case study and all of that. And before, before I forget, I put uh, the link to their channel in the description below. Make sure to check out his channel. He has some great uh, content, some new stuff coming out about uh, Puerto Rico and the tax incentives out there. And you should check out their channel. They talk about a lot of stuff that we talk about in a little bit more, probably more technical and more thorough. Haven't done my taxes, I'm too turned up. Haven't done my taxes, I'm too turned up. Peter, thank you for being here. We're really excited to have you. Well, it's great to be here, Jim. I really like your content. I think it's among the most practical and thoughtful out there with respect to the challenges that people face trying to do business in the U.S. I like the way that you use real people and real fact patterns. Uh, and today, I brought you a fact pattern. Perfect. Perfect. So what, 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 what do we got? Okay, and just to be clear, we're going to focus on U.S. income taxes today. So there's a whole bunch we could say about sales taxes, state income taxes. We're not going to talk about the foreign consequences of this. So we're really going to laser in on the U.S. Uh, income, federal income tax consequences of this particular individual and his tax pattern. Perfect. So yeah, that's, we what, that's what we, we specialize have. in, right? U.S. taxes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so what we have here is we have uh, an individual in Mexico who is not a U.S. citizen, not a U.S. tax resident, no social security number, no I-10. And this person is selling product using the Amazon FBA service. So maybe, Jim, you want to talk a little bit about what that is because it's relevant to our discussion throughout. Yeah, so so um, you probably have heard of Amazon if you're watching this video, I'm certain. Amazon FBA is a simple concept where you ship them a ton of your inventory and they have certain minimum requirements. And from there, Amazon does whatever they want with it so they can sell it. So they have a lot of same-day, two-day delivery options. And depending on what you're selling, you send them a lot of inventory, and then Amazon holds it and kind of sells it on your behalf, and they do all of the fulfillment. And when I buy something, Amazon sends it to me, even though it's your product. So it's really inventory managed by Amazon is what the FBA is, right? Yeah, and 60% of the sales of Amazon come through, are not, are not Amazon, are through these uh, FBA-type sellers. So it's very common distribution channel, particularly if you're outside the United States, you don't have uh, somebody that can hang, hold your inventory and fulfill. So it's a uh, valuable, I understand Shopify also now has a fulfillment uh, service as well. So uh, becoming more I didn't popular. know that. Yeah, there's a lot of, and we can maybe talk about this later, but there's a lot of fulfillment like houses and like businesses that do fulfillment that are outside of Amazon, but we'll, we'll we can dive into that later. Okay, so this individual is using Amazon's platform and fulfillment services to market and get products to customers. Uh, the individual owns a single member LLC in Texas. Why? Because you have to, to get a U.S. bank account. Uh, banks won't open, generally won't open bank accounts for people outside the United States. So you set up an LLC, the LLC gets an EIN and then they can open a bank account. You can collect payments into that U.S. bank account in dollars. You can pay the factory, your Shopify fees, whatever. 
out of that U.S. bank account, so you don't have to convert into pesos and back into dollars, and it saves money and it's just uh, easier. Yeah. The uh, the individual has a U.S.-based mail forwarding service, so in case there are returns, that comes through the mail forwarding. It goes back to the U.S. address, and then uh, it's whatever the individual wants to do with that return merchandise, uh, it'll be done. And then if there are casual sales back into the U.S., they might use the forwarding service. Uh, the individual has a U.S. Skype number. Um, so if there are uh, orders to be placed or customer service issues, the customer in the U.S. can just call a U.S. number and it rings over to uh, the phone number or the phone in Mexico. Um, and as we've discussed, uh, and really most significantly for this discussion, there is inventory in the United States. And so, Jim... The, it's, like, it's like moving into an apartment and you buy, you know, the couch and then you buy the table and then you have a, uh, a you know, flat screen. And after a little while, you look around and you're like, wow, I've got a lot of stuff. And this is a lot of stuff in the United States. And I think someone with this kind of stuff in the United States is going to ask two questions. One, what do I have to file? Number two, uh, do I owe tax to the U.S. on any or all of this stuff I have? Yeah, so that, that's kind of uh, – th there's certain forms that we have to file, and I'll talk about those in a second, but kind of understanding where the income is going to be taxed almost comes before because if you are, have to pay tax in the U.S., you, you, the way you file the forms is a little bit different than if you don't. But let's assume in this situation that, that he's, there's no tax to be paid in the U.S. because there's no U.S. trader business, which we're going to discuss. A foreign-owned single-member LLC has to file uh, Form 5472 each calendar year if there's reportable transactions between the owner and the LLC. And, and this is filed with a pro forma, Form 1120, due on April 15th. If there's multiple members to the LLC, they have to file Form 1065, which is a partnership tax return. And if there, if it's a C corporation, you file Form 1120. And if that's, you can be an LLC with an election or an actual C corporation. Those are the three most common tax filing scenarios and requirements and what to report on those forms is really what's what's kind of most interesting right so the 5472 filing is kind of always required but then we determine whether or not the 1040 has to be filed so do you have like uh, some thoughts on that uh absolutely and i think it depends you know we'll talk later uh or shortly about whether there's enough of a tax presence to create a u.s tax liability yeah, have a tax liability uh, either as a single member, multi-member, whatever. If you have a tax liability, then you'll have to file an individual uh, return form 1040-NR. But even if you don't uh, have a tax liability, you might want to file one anyway on a protected basis because, as you know, Jim, the penalties here are pretty uh, draconian. If you don't file that form 5472, you can have a penalty of twenty-five thousand dollars and that's automatic and if you file the biggest thing is if you file it a day late they just send it automatically to you and i'm sure you've seen the letters it's crazy because it's a civil penalty you can't even call the irs about it because it's with a different division that doesn't have a phone you write them letters and they just never get back to you i i i, I don't know we, we didn't plan to talk about this but i sent some penalty abatement request like a year and a half ago and they just send Every 60 days, I get it. We need another 60-day letter, a 30-day letter. So we, we don't even have responses on most of those still. And I've done a couple of them recently. Yeah, so that's a significant cost. When you're 
selling $120,000 in nutritional supplements a year on Amazon and you get hit with a $25,000 penalty, that is huge. This is not a proportional penalty, you know, for big companies or small companies. It's just one size fits all. It's a flat civil penalty. You're at the mercy of the IRS computers for a lot of this. Uh, the other thing, a uh, draconian thing that can happen is if you don't uh, have a taxable presence, you don't think you have a taxable presence as a result of all this stuff, and the IRS later determines you do have a taxable presence and you don't um, timely respond to that, you can actually be taxed on your gross income and you're not allowed to take deductions. Like if you that. don't timely respond to the IRS notices, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there's a, a whole lot of procedural aspects of this particular rule, which could disallow expenses. And the idea is the IRS has a hard time identifying who is out there that's not filing that should be filing. And I so think they're going to be getting better at it with uh, this next 2022, the uh, Corporate Transparency Act coming up. But real quick, I want to take one step back because I, I didn't plan to ask you this question, but I want to ask because I'm curious and I get it all the time. With this $25,000 penalty, if it gets assessed and that person just doesn't pay it and they close down their LLC, does that pass on to the owner? Is that Does that um, civil tax like become a tax of the owner of the LLC or does it stay with the LLC and can they close it? Like how, how practically, how does that work? Because I haven't experienced that. Yeah, I, that's a good question. And I really, um, I, I kind of like most of my career, I've not lived in a world of people just like not paying these things they're supposed to pay. So that comes up too with like Wayfair and the sales tax issues. And yeah, you get assessed like a, a sales tax liability or even an income tax liability now under Wayfair in some jurisdiction, can you just not pay it? Yeah, you, the owner lives in Mexico. He's a Mexican citizen, US. Yeah. Like when do they, how do they go after this guy? When do they do it? How does that work? Do they have it on his record? Can he get a, a green card later? You know, does that, like those are the okay. questions I kind of get. And I'm like, oh, I don't know is my answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we are a controversy firm. Mostly, we deal with controversies like this, uh, but we haven't had. I haven't been involved in a case like what you're talking about, where somebody just says, uh, "Try to get it," you know, from me. I shut down. But you, you, but you can imagine. I mean, you can imagine it comes up if the guy sold twenty thousand dollars of supplements and decides doesn't want to do it anymore, and he gets a penalty. He's not going to pay that. You know, it just doesn't like he can't pay it. Yeah. And he's not going to fight it. He doesn't want to pay anyone else to fix it. He just wants to sweep it under the rug. And it's a small thing. I'm sure there's a lot of people like that. Cause um, <laughs> I've just had people ask me about it and I can tell like their business is small. They're just testing stuff out. And if they file it themselves, they do it wrong. They get the penalty. They're just never going to pay it. So, you know, we can move on, but I, I guess you don't know the answer to that either because I have never experienced it. No. And I, I think that, you know, if, you, if you're in this position, like you're the Mexican individual who's selling products on Amazon and you get worried about these tax uh, liabilities and you have Amazon, you have inventory with Amazon in the United States, you just kind of say, well, can they just, can the IRS file a lien against my inventory? And all of a sudden I can't fulfill my orders. And, and, you know, you start, if you, you know, like compound all of these problems and yeah. That's more likely. That's what that's what I've told people. I'm like, look, if you keep a U.S. bank account, the IRS with the company name, the IRS certainly can lean and take the money from that account. Yeah. So I, I don't want to get everybody worked up uh, too much. Um, yeah, I know that's a that's a, a niche scenario, but I just wanted to ask real quick. But we can, we can keep keep going because we have a lot we want to discuss. Yeah. So uh, and and you talked about. I appreciate your discussion about the type of uh, 
forms you have to file in the annual filing season, the 5472, 1120, 1040 NR, maybe a couple other reporting events too that uh, you might want to comment on because you've got the better experience. But when you sign up for Amazon, they're going to run you through a tax interview because they need a form from you. And that form could be form W8 or that form could be form W9. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so what form do you give the IRS when they're, I mean, do you give, what form do you give Amazon when, they, uh, when they're requesting it? The W-9, the W-8, the W-8-B-E-N, the W-8-B-E-N-E. And in my experience, what I've seen clients do, if they have a multi-member LLC, they'll give a W-9 because they're like, yes, it's a U.S. partnership. And when they have a single member LLC, if they're a foreign person, they should be giving a W-8. And if the Amazon accepts the W-8, um, I say W-8, W-8-BEN, then, then that works. But uh, let me take a step back because I'm, I guess I'm, I'm kind of skipping things. The W-9 is a certification of U.S. taxpayers. So if you give someone a W-9, you're telling them, you're certifying, you're signing that you are a U.S. taxpayer and, and uh, you pay taxes in the U.S. If you give them a W-8-B-E-N, you're telling them you're a foreign person and you're identifying yourself as a not U.S. non-resident, non-taxpayer, and the W-8-B-E is for foreign companies. So... And there's, and there's a W-8 ECI, and that's a foreign person who is paying taxes. So this form isn't sent to the IRS. It's held internally in case there's an audit or an investigation of the person who's um, asking for the form. And from what I've seen, the pe- a lot of people just send the W-9 because they ask for a W-9, and they just fill it out. They put the LLC name and the EIN, and they sign it. And I don't what, what, what implications are there for sending in the wrong, the wrong form? Well, I think uh, to a large degree, it's uh, the obligation of the person who is making the payments to you to collect the right form. Yeah. And Amazon takes this responsibility very seriously. They have, and I like to say that the IRS has 250 million customers and they have 70,000 people. Amazon probably has 250, sorry, 250 million customers. They have 70,000 people. Amazon probably has 250 million customers. They have over a million people. Yeah. Okay. Good, good systems, outside contractors, consultants. So they really um, make a strong. And they're, and they're held accountable by the government pretty strictly. They, they're looked at. So they have to be really on top of it. They are. And they don't, and they really don't want to be looked at any more than they are looked at. So they'll put up their own systems and they have a tax interview process. They run everybody through who wants to sell on Amazon. That form they use, it's like three or four page uh, outline for the interview is, is actually on the, uh, the internet. Um, it's no secret. I mean, they want to kind of ask a lot of questions and the questions they ask are on this form and they ask about the kind of activity you're conducting in the United States. And this is a form, whether you're a U.S. person or a foreign person or a single member LLC or multi-member LLC. So they go through a rigorous process. And at the end of the day, um, I would feel comfortable that they're going to collect the right form and that they're going to ask enough questions. And they, they specifically say, if you've got a single member LLC, don't give us a form W-9. You know, you're going to have to give us a form W-8. So I think they do a fairly rigorous job. There might be other, um, you know, maybe less big companies who don't go through this much of an exercise that might be willing to just take the W-9 because that's usually what people give them because most of the people that are dealing with them are just U.S. people. And that's what U.S. people. That's what they're looking for also, you know, they're looking for it. It's easier for them. It's not different. And I'm not sure if, 
if they do that right away, because I've worked with a couple of clients recently who went through the process of like, how do I sign up? What EIN do I use? What number? And they didn't, that the, my clients didn't ask me about this interview question process. And also that I don't think they filled out a separate W8 or W9 because usually they ask me to give it to them. And they just, I think the Amazon kind of populates their own W8 via the questions and maybe they have to sign it digitally when they, when they advance or something like that because it might be more efficient for them to do it that way. Because the last, I have like four or five people in the last two weeks that I kind of helped through this process, trying to figure out what Amazon will accept in terms of like addresses and EIN numbers and company types and things like that. So that they can get the store open, which is the most important part to them is to get, be able to sell on Amazon. Uh, but that hasn't really come up for me in the last, just in my experience in the last couple of weeks. I have another um, client I'm going to be talking to that's doing opening seven new Amazon stores. So I'll, I can follow up YouTube say make sure to like and subscribe the video so you can be in tune put that bell on so you can be in tune when we put out those next videos. Yeah. And I think to be clear and to be responsive to your question about whether you have a liability or responsibility for providing the wrong form, I would say that the form that you file does not determine your personal tax liability. That just determines how they're going to withhold or whether they're going to withhold from payments they make to you. But your tax liability is independent of that. Even if they don't withhold anything from what they pay you to the extent that you have a U.S. trader business and that income is effectively connected to that U.S. trader business. Okay, so to some responsibility to report that to pay tax on it. So, so to summarize that last thought, because I think it's pretty important, I want to repeat it. If if you give a W-9 to the uh, to Amazon, it doesn't mean that you have to pay taxes in the U.S. necessarily. The IRS determines this based on your facts and circumstances, which is how they generally make their determinations based on the facts and circumstances more than what's said or done, because a lot of people make mistakes. And especially if you're a foreign person filling out a W-9 instead of W-8, you have no idea what you're doing anyways, especially English, your second language, you know. So yeah. it's all facts and circumstances. I think that's really important to uh, reiterate on. Yeah, and that's, and that's why I focus on three separate filing events. The first filing event is when you sign up and you have to provide this form that is going to impact whether the payor is going to withhold tax or not withhold tax. The second filing event, which we really haven't talked to, is at the end of the year, you're going to get some form from them. It's going to be a 1099K reporting the amount of payments, or it's going to be a 1042 reporting the amount of payments, but you may get something that says, here's how much income you have. And that creates a lot of anxiety because that is being reported to the IRS. And it's 1099K forms that, that they'll send out. This is how many sales you had. That that actually, I want to step back one more second, ask you another un, un, unscripted, uh, unplanned question about this. Uh, your, your thoughts on the withholding because, so the W-9 tells you a U.S. person, so the company paying you won't withhold any taxes. If you give a company like Amazon a W-8 BEN, you tell them you're a foreign person and you're actually selling your own books on Amazon, Amazon will consider that royalties and they'll withhold 30%. I have clients they do that too. There's other companies, and this is where the question comes in. There's other companies like YouTube and uh, I guess that would be Google, right? Um, Google and then I had a really good example. I had a caller who called me a couple months back on my Spanish channel and he was getting paid for services from Nike and Adidas for doing different design services. One company withheld 30%, the other one didn't. So I see so much inconsistent yeah. application of what do the what should be what what income, what payments are required to have withholdings on them and which aren't. And to me it's it's clearly 
royalties, interest, dividends, rents, like those are the most common ones. But do you see this uh, happening where companies are withholding taxes on like commissions or like services? Do you see that? Yeah, I have because I've actually run the tax departments and international tax departments of some large public companies. And these, uh, any of these big companies are going to have payment flows uh, going all over the place, right? Back and forth between foreign companies, back and forth between the U.S. and foreign companies. And the application of taxes is crazy inconsistent among the different rules. Somebody might treat something as a service and somebody else might treat it as a royalty. And, yeah. and then the treaties come into play. And we, I don't want to like sink into that whole morass of characterization of payments, but it is ripe for inconsistency. But I will tell you, if somebody, if you're a foreign person in that position and somebody withholds a tax on a payment to you, so they pay you $100, they withhold 30%, only get 70, uh, you could actually file a tax return to the extent those services are rendered outside the U.S. You can file a tax return and get that 30 back because that's a withholding tax applied to you. It's only a withholding tax. It doesn't determine your final uh, tax liability. And so you can file a form and say, uh, I was over withheld and I should get that money back. And say it's not effectively connected income and the IRS won't, won't dispute, they won't say that this is actually due to royalties and they'll, and they'll allow the refund? Well, if it is royalties, then uh, there is a 30% withholding tax and that's appropriate. And you have to try to get I, it back to the foreign tax credit mechanism. Well, and I, I'm just I'm just thinking practically how you do that because I actually have a client who was selling books on Amazon and they withheld and he sold a lot. So what I said was let's take a position that this is effectively connected income and just pay graduated rates instead of 30%, even though I know royalties have to fly. It's, there was no, it, was, it was from Argentina, so not a treaty country. And yeah. I said, like, the books are stored in the U.S., so it's U.S. source income. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you can, like, we're going to talk about that next. It's like what creates a U.S. trader business. And um, if it's Amazon, uh, it's going to be harder because they are pretty robust, you know, in their analysis. And I think to the extent that you get a uh, whatever form from Amazon, there's a holding tax on it, and the government says, well, that's from Amazon. And I think there is some deference to their robust procedures, and that may be a little bit of a harder climb. There is a separate uh, form WA for income that's connected to a U.S. trader business. It's a form WA DCI, and Amazon will uh, require that form to the extent you go through the tax interview process and you say, "I have all kinds of activity in the U.S. or I do this, uh, you know, while I'm in the U.S." Or uh, they they can require that form WA DCI. That's kind of rare, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, so they will try to make that determination that becomes relevant to the next session. So maybe we should talk about, uh, now that we talk about like a lot of bad things that can happen, let's just try to talk about whether you have a tax liability based on this fact pattern, whether this particular person uh, could be expected to have a U.S. trader business that would create a tax liability because chances are, um, to the extent that they filed a W-8 uh, or W-9 to Amazon, they might not have a holding tax, but Amazon might not be aware of everything they're doing in the U.S. And they might have other activity in the U.S. And once you have a U.S. trader business, then uh, U.S. source uh, income, and that's a whole other determination, can be attracted to that trader business, uh, treated yeah. as effectively connected with it. So Yeah, so this is, this is like, uh, I think the most um nuanced portion of what we're going to talk about 
what when do you have to pay taxes in the U.S. if you're a foreign person with an LLC? And you're going to explain to me, I believe, the uh, there's the two concepts: the U.S. trader business and effectively connected income, U.S. source income. So, um, how do you how do you distinguish the two, and what comes first? How 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 can you explain that to me a little bit more? Well, if you don't have a if you don't have a U.S. trader business, you will not have income effectively connected to that U.S. trader. Business. So, if you have no U.S. trader business, you don't pay taxes in the U.S. in this situation. Yeah. So there are two ways that the U.S. can tax you: either something called FDAPI, which are like the royalties, yeah, uh, or some other passive type income streams that they can just take the thirty percent or some treaty rate away from you. So you can still be taxed in the U.S. without having a U.S. trader business. A U.S. trader business is where you have enough activity in the U.S. that you have to report the income and then you get to take deductions and you pay tax on your net income, which is kind of conceptually how most people roll. They pay tax if they're running a business on whatever the profits are of the business and not the gross receipts. So that in some cases can be a good thing to have a U.S. trader business or effectively connected income because then you can take all your deductions and then you might end up paying a lot a lot less taxes um and this by the way that this is like this huge kind of uh, uh issue i worked in new york in the financial services area at a large firm and you have uh, foreign banks doing business in the u.s other financial uh institutions doing business in the u.s through branches they have effectively connected income you have pe funds you have hedge funds and it's it's like the Lord of the Rings and, you know, the battle for Middle Earth going on with respect to when you have um, effectively connected income or U.S. trader business. And if you're if you're the, the supplement seller here on Amazon FBA, you kind of feel like this little hobbit is trying to avoid the, the swinging battle. Line. That's so, that's when when I help clients fill out the sorry to interrupt when I help clients fill out the W.A.B.E.N. You can see on the W.A.B.E.N. E. There's like 50 different categories of types of company, and that's yeah. what you're that's what you're referring to, really, is on this 1042 uh, on all those forms. There's like so many classifications, and it's yeah. for most people, it's uh, and I say this in WAP videos, it's non-financial foreign entity. It's NFFE, right? Yeah. But I'll, mm -hmm. I'll let you continue because you're right. It is like it's insane the amount of classifications, and then you have to after you classify, you have to determine what the business is doing, and it's a mess. Yeah, it is. And so you kind of like as a as an Amazon FBA seller, just kind of want to keep your head down. Your best day is the day, you know, your perfect day is the day you don't hear from the IRS. I mean, you just yeah. don't want that interaction. You want as little of that interaction as possible. Because based on what you're doing, um, in many cases, you're not going to have a U.S. trader business. You're not going to have effectively connected income. Amazon's not going to withhold tax from you. So it's going to be a good day. But let's talk about this particular fact pattern and whether this uh, collection of stuff is gonna end up creating a US trader business for you. Great. So you have a US, you're selling on Amazon, okay? So they've gone through the process and, and they're not withholding taxes, let's say. Uh, you have this US LLC, that is not itself going to create a US trader business. You might say, well, it is a registered entity under state law why wouldn't that be a U.S. taxable presence? Because it's treated as a flow-through entity. It's passed through. It can tax nothing if it's a single member. Uh, the companies I worked with, we actually had LLCs in the structure between two foreign companies just for, for, for reasons. and Probably uh, legal reasons, not, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did not create a U.S. tax filing obligation just because we used an LLC. Except for so, 4472, right? 
Form fifty four seventy two. Don't forget about that form, Jim. It's twenty five thousand. You know, I see, I see that looked over mostly with people that own like a house in it with an LLC. It's like the simple stuff. People that have an LLC and they're not doing business, they just own it for uh, to own property with. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to distract from this because this is the, this is the meat and potatoes. What we're talking about. Sure. So the LLC itself should not create a trader business. Um, I think that I saw in the, you mentioned the uh, Transparency Act and they're going to require beneficial ownerships to be disclosed for LLC. Yeah. I think part of that act, the discussion of that act, the government said there were like 2 million LLCs created every year. And yeah. so every, and most of those are by foreign, a lot of those are by foreign people, I don't know most of them, but a lot of them are by foreign people. And if LLCs were going to create U.S. trader business, uh, there would be a lot of additional uh, forms filed. I think, I think the IRS gets like probably 50, 60,000 foreign um, reporting forms from individuals and foreign corporations that have U.S. trader business or file protective returns. So it's not 2 million or it's not 10 million. Oh, and that's 2 million a year. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. If the IRS got a 100,000 to 5472s, I'd be like, okay, I guess. But And then, and then your estimation of a million of them being created every year, yeah. it leads me to believe that there's a lot of people not reporting this form. Yeah, it's possible. And, but, but also, it, it also if, it, if having an LLC created a U.S. trader business, I think that would be a kind of retail crisis out there right now. And it's not. Yeah. Uh, similarly with bank accounts, there is an old, uh, so, so you ask yourself, well, I have a U.S. bank account, uh, even if it's indirectly through an LLC, but it might be a disregarded LLC. So it's your bank account. Does that create a trader business? Um, there is a old, uh, IRS GCM, which is an internal communication that um, some people use to scare other people about having a trader business. And it says, anything beyond a mere receipt of income and payment of expenses can constitute a U.S. trader business. So that's like this hair trigger of creation of trader business. But what's interesting is it does carve out one safe harbor that the receipt of income and payment of expenses going through, uh, for example, a U.S. bank account is not going to be U.S. trader business. There are court cases from like quite a while ago. A lot of court cases. Reach the same conclusion that a U.S. bank account is not implicitly going to give you a U.S. trader business. Yeah, so that's totally that's been decided in the courts a couple of times in a couple of different cases. So uh, yeah. that's that, that's what I tell people. Like, look, it's court precedent. It's the best. That's the best precedent to go on. Yes, exactly. And, and these court cases are very old. So the IRS has kind of lost interest in. Um, you know, making this case uh, over time. And this is such a common structure that, again, if this was a problem, it would be a problem on a retail uh, scale that we would have heard about. Um, mail forwarding and using Skype numbers are extremely common. Uh, the thing about mail forwarding is you may at, at some point have what could be said as inventory or merchandise in the United States at the mail forwarder, you know, bits and pieces. Generally, to have a U.S. trader business, your activity has to be regular and continuous and, and, and meaningful, um, not ancillary. So uh, you wouldn't expect mail forwarding to by itself be an issue or Skype. So that, that leads us to the inventory, which is really the third rail of having a U.S. trader business. And what kind of guidance is out there to tell you whether having inventory in the U.S. is a problem or not a problem? Uh, publication 519, the U.S. Tax Guide for Aliens, which is kind of right on point to our Mexican uh, fact pattern here, 
says, if you own and operate a business in the U.S. selling services, products, or merchandise, you are, with certain exceptions, engaged in the U.S. trader business. That also suggests a fairly low bar to have a U.S. trader business. The U.S.-Mexico tax treaty, though, says that maintenance of a stock of goods or merchandise solely for the purpose of storage, display, or delivery is not going to be what they call a permanent establishment. A permanent establishment is a concept in a treaty that really supplants the trader business determination and sets a higher threshold before you become exposed to U.S. tax. So what, what I look at the, the treaties is um, if you don't have a tax treaty, you're reliant solely on like the, the interpretation of the tax code. But what the treaty does for people who don't understand the concept, the treaty is really an explanation of how the tax codes are going to be implemented between the two countries. So um, with this treaty, we can see, and like you said, you reference a treaty because uh, in the fact pattern, the guys from Mexico, we have a treaty. So the treaty says that he can have inventory without being a trader business. So what if what if he was from Argentina and he doesn't have a treaty to, to rely on? Would it, would would you would you um, be a little bit harsher in your determination of what's a trader business? Yeah, you have to be, and I think that and and I've written memos on this in my you know history of working in the tax area. This this is a significant determination of whether inventory in the United States is going to constitute a U.S. trader business. And even where you have a treaty, it says solely for the purpose of storage, display, or delivery. And some people kind of say, well, that's that's if I'm making uh, the product in the U.S. and then it goes into a warehouse until it can be shipped to me. I'm just storing it in the U.S. and I shouldn't have a trader business. But if you're picking and packing it out of the U.S. warehouse on an order-by-order -order basis, that's where I would start to get concerned. This is yeah. interesting because... We've talked a lot about Amazon FBA on this call and the determinations they have to make and the importance of them making these determinations accurately. And we've talked about how through the seller central process, they do a, they conduct a tax interview that asks a lot of questions uh, about what you're doing or what you will be doing in the United States. And um, if you kind of answer those questions, no, or enough of those, no, they will accept the form WABEN from you, and they won't require you to do a WADCI, which says I have a U.S. tax liability. So they will accept uh, a WABEN and not treat you as uh, effectively engaged in the U.S. trader business through their tax interview process. I mean, this is not the IRS making this determination. This is Amazon making the determination, but it's a big company that's putting a lot of thought into this exercise. And there's a lot of people that the IRS would have to look into anyway. So the IRS has to exercise some kind of trust to filter this out because it really, it's really impossible, especially with their staffing, to check every single example. They can't audit everybody, you know? So they have to go buy something. And if Amazon's going to be the company that they're going to trust because of their history of compliance and their amount of research and their initiatives to stay compliant, then that's that, that kind of gives more support to it. So... Uh, so, so the 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 determination that is kind of if Amazon says you're not doing a trader business, the IRS will trust Amazon's determination. Is what we've been seeing. I, I mean, I, I feel like that is a reasonable you know basis uh, on which you can kind of carry carry on your business. So, if you're this person in Mexico, and what's to me, Jim, what's really interesting about this is Amazon is willing to conclude that you don't have a U.S. trader business, and they hold your inventory. <laughs> They have your inventory in their warehouses 
So if having inventory in an Amazon warehouse was a problem for trader business, they have all the information to make you fill out the WADCI if it is in fact a problem. So and and but they have I, I kind of look at it a little bit differently. Uh, well, from a different perspective, I agree with your conclusion, but I kind of look at it as Amazon is an independent agent who's taking control of the inventory and managing it for you. And since they do it for, you know, actually like millions of uh, probably hundreds of thousands of companies, then it's it's not like you are engaged in a business because you're contracting with a company that does that. Yes. So, and I totally agree with you. That is the rationale behind why they've reached this conclusion. But the fact is that they have reached the conclusion. You know, you and I speculate. You you. You made a very articulate case for why this inventory shouldn't create a U.S. trader business. You and I could speculate on that. We don't have to. I mean, Amazon's already you know nailed that one down for us. And you know, at least there's some something you can point to that says if you're going to sit around and worry about you know the IRS placing a lien on your inventory or this or that, I mean, at least you've got something here that can help you out a bit now yeah and you're working and you're working with advisors you've done some due diligence and the irs really likes that too if the irs audits you and you're working with people and you have thought behind what you're doing instead of just throwing stuff together in my experience the irs likes that a lot they only have seventy thousand employees yeah and they have 250 million customers I mean, well if you if you're going to count every single foreign person with an llc they have way more than 250 million customers yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no, and they got a lot of other things that they have to do. So I, I think it's uh, really to the benefit of all. Uh, and certainly the IRS could always come out and say, look, we disagree with this uh, approach. They don't typically do the, that kind of thing. They could audit people, even if uh, Amazon chose not to treat them as effectively connected. Like I say, Amazon's determination is not the end of the story. You have your obligations to file tax returns if you're the Mexican person in this case. And again, Amazon doesn't know everything you're doing. So let's take a case Let's take a situation where, in addition to the Amazon FBA, you're selling on eBay. Perfect. I wanted to go into more examples because we have because the people that talk to me sometimes they have they work with a different fulfillment center or they'll work they'll rent their own warehouse or they'll use a family friend to ship and package stuff. Those yeah. are the three scenarios, and I think they get increasingly more. You're yeah. doing a trader business toward the end of it. Yeah. No, you may not have those protections, and even in the case of the um, Mexico Treaty. Can you say that that merchandise is solely for purposes of storage, display, or delivery? I think if you're if you're picking and packing, you know, if you're if, maybe it's in your uncle's garage in Colorado, yeah. right? And and you call your uncle up and say, "Hey, I just sold another uh, six packs. I need you to send it here." You're picking and packing, really, the orders one by one. That's, that's a dependent agent. That's what I say. The, the argument of independent agent like Amazon, if you have, if he's only doing it for you, he works for you and he's doing U.S. business and everything he packs is U.S. source income. Yeah. So let me, let me kick this one back to you because yeah. I think some, some advisors talk about, uh, because they're concerned about and rightly concerned about uh, this issue of inventory in the U.S. and say, well, set up a separate C corporation uh, in the U.S. to own the inventory. Therefore, you don't have the inventory. The C corporation has the inventory. Uh, you want to comment on that? Certainly. So that's that's um, the only kind of the uh, kind of advice you get working with someone like like, like Peter or myself that where where you can get some kind of um, advice on how to do this because everything is so nuanced and so complicated. Even though we're talking like like twenty concepts, right? So what what happens? And I'll give you an example. I have a company or a client. 
that they're based outside the U.S. They're, they did it. The, the Canadians have it the best because Canadians can keep their passport and expatriate and not pay taxes in Canada anymore. So they have it the best. So they're living in like uh, the islands. Um, I don't know the islands somewhere, and they do not Amazon fulfillment, but they do. It's kind of like drop shipping, but they take consignment of the inventory in the U.S. So they're they're kind of selling online for a U.S. company, and these guys are in their contract. And we looked at their contract. They take possession of the goods after they're sold, and then it's delivered to the, the client. So they wanted to avoid all risk of this potentially being checked in the future. So what we decided to do to be more, more safe is use a C corporation. A C corporation is a U.S. person. It pays tax in the U.S. on worldwide income, just like I do. And, and it's, uh, it's kind of falls, fall, like you're paying tax. You're reporting everything in the U.S., and this way, there's no, there's not going to be any determination of you should have been paying taxes because you are. But the way that they can mitigate a lot of their tax responsibility is pay themselves management fees. And I go over this in my in my course a lot about how, um, like the, a, a lot of the differences between this. But they pay themselves fees because they live outside the U.S. and they're doing all of the work to drive these sales and drive all this. So there's not a there's not a transfer pricing issue because they're not selling it to themselves. They're literally just buying from a supplier and selling to the internet. They're just they're, they're providing marketing services more, really, what they're doing. But technically, they, they could get roped into the U.S. trader business because of inventory and all of that. So that's what they're doing. They're using a U.S. corp, and they're paying themselves out high management fees. So there's a, a pretty low margin on the U.S. corp, which is pretty reasonable because they're doing all the work from overseas. And they have a, and they, and they, have, they don't want to be trapped in having U.S. trader business and never having paid taxes or filing the wrong way. Yeah, I think that um, cer certainly the larger companies I worked with, that was a strategy to quarantine your local assets for certain local activities to keep you know your whole organization from being sucked into the vortex of having a taxable presence in this country or that country. It's more difficult um, when you're this particular person who's doing 120,000 a year, a medical, or sorry, medical, a nutritional supplements, and that is really not a scale enough to be setting up C corporation. It's just the cost of compliance gets higher because you have to be more. It's you have to report more, and you have to really be a little bit more on top of it. So the cost of compliance is a little bit higher, and um, you just have to you have to tell the IRS everything. So yeah, you're right. A lot of it doesn't make it's it's like a little bit more than a lot of people want to do because the LLC is fast. It's easy. And, but but the C corp is really if you want to have a presence in the U.S., it's you need a C corp to to se separate your your business, especially if you're doing real business physically in the U.S. and physically in another country. The C corporation is much better because you kind of have straight lines as to what business is doing what and where. Yeah, and I think this issue just to kind of like wrap this up with one final um, point observation uh, is. Um, if you have a scale issue, you want to keep your head down. You don't want to, uh, you know, Amazon's not one holding. You have to decide whether you have a trader business. You've got a small amount of inventory in the U.S. Maybe not. It's not with Amazon through the FBA. And you're deciding whether to file a U.S. tax return or not. Just again, kind of think about the consequences of not filing and then being held responsible for having a trader business and how. Uh, that can itself be a very kind of large controversy type of issue. So do you want to file a 1040 NR 
year by year, just on a protected basis. And the IRS gets uh, 40, 50,000 or more protected returns every year, which basically zeros because it's just people wanting to preserve this ability to claim deductions in the future or start a statute of limitations possibly. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and that's, a, what do you think of that, Jim? Uh, I think that, um, yeah, you don't lose anything from filing a protected return. You know, you lose a little bit of time, maybe a little bit of money and paying someone to do it, but because especially the foreign corpse, but I think this is mostly prevalent and especially in the court cases in the past, um, and all the examples I've seen, it's been really mostly prevalent for foreign corporations and foreign businesses who are doing business in the U.S. instead of more of foreign individuals. Because I just, the IRS seems to throw the book at these foreign co corporations who never filed protective returns. And I, I know a case, uh, a court case, and then you shared one with me last week uh, uh, about another one that was pretty recent. And I don't know if you want to get, get into that a little bit about like how how the IRS views uh, a trader business if you're a foreign company. And then also <laughs> this case was crazy because they were using satellite imagery and they were using all this crazy technology to determine tax liability. I imagine it was a pretty big operation there that they were dealing with, you said offshore stuff. So I I'll let you, I guess, elaborate in kind of the, this case and what happened and then why you need to file a protective return, especially if you have a foreign corp owning your LLC. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like every few years, one of these cases comes along that just gives everybody the chills. And it's not necessarily this case or that case. There's been a pattern in these cases. And I would always, you know, talk to people. I lived overseas for a while. I talked to a lot of foreign companies doing business in the U.S. And we would talk about this and they say, practically, what is, you know, like, what is the... Uh, kind of actual enforcement in this area. And I said, well, I call this often discussed, seldom enforced, because you do get these cases every couple of years or so, but it's still really hard for the IRS to make this case. And I think a more interesting, maybe this is for another video, is an actual process the IRS went through to collect information, you know, these 1099Ks, uh, customs information, sales tax registrations, all the different kind of trails you leave when you're selling business to U.S. customers. And the IRS went through a, in a sense, test process to try to collect a lot of these bits of information and then send letters to the people that they could connect this to and say, what are you doing in the uh, U.S.? Tell me a little bit more about what you're doing in the U.S., and you would think that they would do that. You know, you would think that if they, if this is the IRS, you know, 250 million customers, you would think that if they were to do that, they would do that on a pretty large scale. That, that whole kind of sample or that whole exercise was done around the sample set of 50 companies, 50 taxpayers. And they sent a letter to 50 companies. And like my odds. <laughs> even then, it, you know, and then they kind of like, according to the report that was issued on, they kind of lost interest in the whole process at some point, or maybe they concluded that this was a bit of a dead end. I don't know, but certainly every, you know, we all leave a digital trail. I deal with this in Puerto Rico and how many days we spend in Puerto Rico. Everybody leaves a digital, you know, a carbon footprint or whatever, you know, a digital trail. And with this new transparency, LLC transparency uh, uh, law, and registrations of this and registrations of that and importation of this, everybody's leaving a trail. And so, yeah, 
often discuss self-enforce, but if it happens to be you that gets one of these 50 letters or you that's the subject of the- Call Frost Tax Law. <laughs> no, then it's not a good day. We've talked about what a good day is. That is not a good day. No, it's not a good day. Call call Frost Tax Law because you guys are definitely better at controversy. I don't do much of that stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it's, you got to be on it because that's what happened to some of these, uh, especially in this example, um, the IRS sent notices, requested information, and the company ignored the IRS notices. They yeah. didn't give them any of the information and they filed the protective forms like three years late. The IRS threw everything out the window and assessed tax on the gross. And, and this is really tough in some of these like low margin businesses. Like the one that the case that I read in the last the last one I looked at was the the yacht dealer in uh, in Miami who parked his yacht in Miami, so it was a U.S. trader business, and they assessed it on him. But you know he sold the yacht for twenty million dollars, but he bought it for fifteen. His gain is five, but he's paying tax on twenty, so he's like he's screwed. And that's yeah. uh and that's because he didn't do his his due diligence, his taxes, and he, but the the example you gave me was worse because they had like a chance to to follow up and kind of fix it. But they just didn't respond. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot. I mean, there were two separate court cases. One talking about whether they had the trader business and the impact of the treaty. And then the whole second one is procedurally, do they get to make deductions? And yeah, kind of lost everything. So, yeah. um, and you know, really, if you're attending, if you're in this situation and you're this Mexican person and you're already filing a uh, 5472 and 1120 for the LLC, because you have to. Uh, why not just file a 1040 NR as well, right? But but from from my experience, I didn't. This is Code Section 802 that we're talking about, where it disallows expenses when it wasn't filed, unfiled return. I, in my experience with personal returns, that's not really the case because I I, I deal with the personal tax resolution for right. U.S. people, and if and if someone doesn't file a return, you can take expenses like 10 years later. Uh, it's yeah. I guess that when you file the original return, is that still the same risk for a non-resident? Yeah, so I had to look this up. You know, I just needed to kind of be prepared on this because the cases, most of these cases involving uh, what you're talking about, the yacht owner or the uh, uh, the recent case, you know, we could discuss, uh, involve foreign corporations. Yeah. That's uh, Section 872 uh, or something. Eight, eight, eight something. No one's going to look it up anyway. How dare I forget a uh, code section? That's shame on me. But the uh, there is a similar rule, and this is the one I had to look up because I go like, well, you know, I wonder if there's a similar rule in, in for U.S. for individuals because I've never worked a lot with individuals, and there is under Section 874. There's a rule that says the same thing: if you don't file tax returns, don't expect to be able to get. And that's for foreign. That's for foreign individuals, right? Exactly. Specifically oh. for foreign individuals. Specifically for foreign individuals. Okay, because it doesn't. It's not the rules don't really apply for U.S. individuals in my experience, because people just don't file and then the IRS assess a tax and I'm, I'm amending a, or filing an original tax return for 15 years ago. I don't know how the IRS verifies that information or whatever, but, and yeah. they accept it. So I guess, so what, what code section was that? I have the video. Section 874, let me tell you the, put this on pause. Um, I have it written down. 874A, section 874A, and Section 882C2 um, is the corporate provision to allow you to claim uh, deductions. Well, I'm going to start filing a couple more non-resident tax returns, protective returns uh, this year, because I definitely have some people who are 
pushing the envelope with their trader business determinations. And, um, and well, maybe, you know, maybe you can offer the FPA bundle where you'll do the 5472, 1120, and a 1040 NR. Yeah, well, what, what I find is people come to me and they're like, um, and, and they come to me, they say, oh, everyone else says I have to, everything's a trader business. So that's what happens a lot with, you know, like local tax preparers, other people, they just make the clients pay tax on everything, no matter what they're doing. Like there's no analysis into it. I mean, they're just tax preparers, right? So they're filing a 1040 NR and a Schedule C and making people, people pay taxes. So they, a lot of people think they have to file the 1040 NR to pay taxes um, when you're saying we should file it protectively. I, I mean, if there's no U.S. trader business, and that's that's great insights. I went on one of the forums for Amazon sellers. I don't recall if it was a Reddit or what it was. Um, it, it is like chaos out there with all the different perspectives. And this person told me this, and that person told me that. Every time I every time I talk to someone, they're like, "Oh, well, I, I heard this from this guy." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> I feel so, I feel so kind of I don't feel bad. I don't know how I feel, but you know, for someone who's trying to get this kind of information off the internet through forums, good luck. You know, I mean, it's almost like whatever you want to hear, somebody's saying it. But does that make it right? I don't think it does. I mean, the IRS if they come in and say you got to trade your business and you show them like a printout from some Reddit forum. <laughs> Not look i'm not i look it it says it right here here's my authority wall street bets i'm not subject to tax <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's right that's why when i try and make videos i i try and reference the code because other people they like that's what happens they said this guy told me i have to pay tax i'm like why can you ask him for a reference or a, an explanation and they're like they said because i have to <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah yeah, no, that, and again, that's why I like what you do because it's thoughtful, it's well supported, and it's based on real life fact patterns. I, I likewise, and and I, I, I think this is kind of getting towards the end, and I, I just want to say thank you so much for for being on here and helping me elaborate with this stuff because you know you it's uh it's really reassuring for me to have a, a professional like you a more a little bit more experience for me, and you also probably do a lot more research than I do coming and kind of verifying what I've been saying. To the people on the channel and to kind of elaborate much more so i there's an extreme value in this video and i really appreciate uh you coming uh on the on the channel well and again thanks for having me and i think that we do these videos you do these videos i do these videos and part of it is marketing but part of it is that we appreciate the challenges that this hypothetical mexican person faces when they're trying to make a buck and yeah. they're taking enough risk in their business and um, Amazon's taking a big fee for everything they do and um, you know and, and then they have to worry about federal income tax, state income tax, state sales tax, self-employment tax we didn't even talk about, duties, yeah. uh, custom duties and things and just there's a, a world of regulation out there that is really uh, oh, I have one last thing. I want to cut you off because I, I, I did have a question I meant to ask earlier. What and went back? I'll just time machine is back to the trader business discussion. I have uh, a couple of clients asking me recently. They want to hire contractors in the U.S. who yeah. do different things. And I said a contractor on its own doesn't make you have a trader business, but it really depends on what they're doing and how they're doing it 
and what authority they have. Can they enter into agreements and contracts and stuff like that? Do you kind of agree with me there that yeah, it doesn't necessarily? No, it's not. It's not fatal. I mean, it's kind of like you setting up your own distribution company to hold your inventory. You're trying to put a wall at the border and say, that's not me, that's that company. And so the same thing with respect to contractors are saying, that's not me doing that stuff. I mean, that's Amazon holding my inventory or, uh, yeah. you know, somebody else. But, but it's, there's distinctions as if they're, if they're entering into legal contracts for you and if they're, if they're operating on behalf of the business, instead of just like providing a marketing service or maybe just like calling people or whatever. Like, so I think, I think it's a little bit, it's a little, uh, uh, tricky, but you know, it could, it's like, it's like you said, it could go either way. It could be like the Amazon example where they're just doing something, but they're not, it's not your whole business, but yeah. I think it could also be if they're entering sales and they're meeting clients and stuff, then it could be a trader business. I agree. I totally agree. I think that to me, we talked about inventory being the third rail. I think that the giving somebody the authority to negotiate and conclude contracts in your name, you know, the name of the foreign entity uh, is is really really uh, walking the line. I mean, it's almost <laughs> yeah. like you are just falling over the line at that point in time. Yeah, you're just yeah. picking up the line, pushing it back. And <laughs> there, there are a lot of cases out there, like with insurance agents. You know, you, you can have a foreign insurance company that is going to uh, sell insurance products. They're using uh, agents in the U.S. And the question is whether these agents are going to. Uh, bring the insurance company into having the U.S. trader business. And certainly you want to rely on treaties where a treaty can help you out. But most treaties are not going to bail you out if somebody in the U.S. has your authority to conclude contracts on behalf of your foreign entity and is not uh, you know, doing that for a whole bunch of other people too. In a, kind of a independent and so many of my clients are coming from non-treaty yeah. countries, especially like right now, Argentina and Peru are pretty big for me at least. Um, because there's a lot going on over there, but, um, I, I could talk to you all day, uh, Peter, I really appreciate your time and I value it. And, um, let's do this again, everyone. If you're still watching this video, I hope your brain hasn't exploded by now. Make sure to uh, like, and subscribe this, uh, like the video, subscribe the channel, and also go down to the uh, frost tax law channel and check them out because Peter puts out some great videos himself.